On today's episode, Joe speaks with Michael Malloy. Michael is going to discuss with Joe about EWP. What is EWP exactly? Expanded Worldwide Planning. Michael is going to tell you all about financial planning, asset protection, estate planning, and life insurance planning. And finally, how people, industry, and relationships are key to increasing your net worth. Let's just get right down to business. This, this is the Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. Hello, Michael. Welcome to the show. Hello, Joe. How are you doing today? Hello, Joe. Oh, I'm great. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. It's a a privilege uh, to be on your podcast. Thank you. Let's get rolling by giving the listeners a brief background about your experience in the wealth planning industry. Uh, well, I actually uh, started in uh, property casualty insurance uh, back in the 80s. And uh, it's, as you probably know, it's heavily transactional. So it got a little boring and uh, you have to have a big staff. So I'd rather just have a, a small staff. So I started more into financial planning, life insurance. And uh, actually, it's a good story. My first life insurance case. So a, a, a company said, well, you know, you got to sell life insurance. And I said, oh, I don't want to sell life insurance. I, I don't like life insurance. And so they said, well, we're going to uh, rescind your contract. You got to do it. And I put it off and put it off. So finally, so finally, I get a, uh, my first uh, uh, prospect. He turns out to be a, a chainsaw. So they lift him in, helicopter him in to where there's big trees and with other guys. So they're all out there sawing down trees and they take the trees out by helicopter, right? So this is my first prospect. So I said, well, you know, he's never going to get approved. So I call up my contact and they say, well, you know, this company that you have to write for, they don't have any underwriting for profession. So I put down chainsaw and it, and it went through. I mean, he needed life insurance. He had six kids. And uh, so then I was started on life insurance and that gradually morphed into more sophisticated financial planning. And finally, in the early, uh, late 90s, early 2000s, uh, my firm concentrated just on private placement life insurance. Now, was it the insurance you, you were selling before? Is that the typical term or the whole life that Penn Mutual yeah. and Mass Mutual are always selling everybody? Uh, that, well, I did, uh, which is kind of the, the, the retail version of private placement life insurance is uh, variable universal life. So I sold quite a bit of that. So part of the design of a PPLI is, uh, is, is based on that. So th- that was a good training ground. And what were kind of the reasons that you uh, left that to go more and focus into the PPLI? I travel a lot. Uh, my wife's European. I've always had uh, many international friends and I kind of like the people around it. Uh, it. It was a more sophisticated form of life insurance. And I mean, as you know, uh, the the, uh, the securities guys are always selling against life insurance. Oh, you don't want life insurance. You know, it's all it's down market. You know, it's like, uh, you know, it, it actually trumps the security guys because, uh, you know, it, it's actually in its detail gets into you know sections of the tax code that most people have never seen so from a high level i mean for all the listeners that are listening what is ppli stand for and what does it do it's private placement life insurance 
and it's a more sophisticated form, like I said before, of uh, variable universal life. It's generally available to what the SEC calls a qualified purchaser, someone who has $5 million or more of investable assets. And basically, it, it acts much more like a trust than it does a life insurance policy. It's a kind of a holistic wealth planning tool for high net worth. Uh, and when somebody of that net worth that let's say they get into that range of five million and or above, you know, what are the reasons they may start to look at this type of insurance? Well, it has all the benefits that a um, standard life insurance policy has: uh, tax deferral, the ability to make tax-free distributions from a policy, and with the proper trust structure, the ability to bypass estate taxes. So it's basically a way to avoid all taxes if it's done right. And it also supports worldwide investments. So many of our clients, say uh, PRC clients, uh, they have two lives. You know, they have a U.S. life and then they have a PRC China life. And this can blend those lives because the um, insurance policy is agnostic as to where the assets are based. So they can be anywhere. You know, how'd you get educated about PPLI or where did you learn everything about it? Uh, basically from uh, lawyers. I spent almost 10 years in New York and uh, there's some, uh, particularly in New York firms that uh, have done PPLI for since the early 1990s. So they have a, a very broad knowledge base. And uh, so I kind of started there and then gradually after more cases, you know, was able to build up my own knowledge base. All right. And so let's get into, you know, you mentioned EWP. What is EWP? Uh, expanded Worldwide Planning. Okay. And it is a kind of in the early 2000s, the first part of this decade, the planning for high net worth individuals came to be what our firm calls uh, spider web structures. So a spider web isn't a very uh, cheery image. So I would meet with clients and they would show me a, um, a diagram, you know, like maybe a whiteboard, say, you know, that took up the, the maybe the whole space of what's behind you, you know, and there were all these boxes and arrows and it was kind of, it was too complicated. So people would come to us and say, you know, I, I don't know, maybe I, maybe they don't even like insurance, you know, say, but we want something simpler. So in a EWP structure, you use a, a private placement life insurance policy. So you have basically the same structure that you do in any garden variety life insurance policy. You have a policy holder and that can be the insured life or lives, but you can also insure children if you want the structure to last longer. And then you have beneficiaries and then you have assets. So you have those, th those elements in every cash value life insurance policy. So what's different about PPLI is you can, if it's properly structured, you can put virtually any asset in there, uh, physical assets, oil, timber, hedge funds, alternative investments, Bitcoin, uh, yachts. The, these policies were designed in uh, mainly uh, Bermuda and Barbados. And they, they wrote the laws to accommodate these asset classes. And almost any citizen in the world can buy what's called foreign insurance in their country. So uh, if you're 
European, Israeli, Russian, Chinese, their laws say you can buy a foreign policy. So basically these people are buying policies and, and that includes uh, US citizens. So you can buy a, you know, a policy where the insurance companies domiciled, domiciled in Barbados or Bermuda and access all these benefits. And so what are the six principles of the expanded worldwide planning? Uh, privacy, uh, asset protection, tax shield, succession uh, planning, you know, uh, like uh, estate planning, compliance simplifier, and trust substitute. The last two are mainly more, um, apply more to um, international clients, but the, the first four uh, very much apply to all clients, you know, including U.S. clients. So these are all typical things that when a client comes to you on the initial, I guess, introduction, you guys kind of go through all these different areas in which to best satisfy the customer's needs. Is that what you're trying to accomplish there? Yes. I mean, basically you, like any form of financial planning, you go over a review of their assets yep. and, and, what, and what they want to accomplish. So usually one, people want to pay less taxes. They, they want to have a, an estate plan that's orderly and that uh, and makes sense. And in a lot of countries, um, there's something called forced airship rules, European countries. Uh, we even have them in the US and in Louisiana, they've been modified recently, but they were designed for to protect spouses and children. So they got a portion of the estate, but in some countries where they're the strictest like France, where they use uh, a newer version of the Napoleonic code they, you're locked into a, a whole regime. You know, you have to give so much to the, the spouse, so much to the, um, the children. So, uh, you know, a modern family, you know, divorce rate is over 50% in the world. So uh, the modern family isn't composed of one family anymore. Mm-hmm. So these, these forced airship rules uh, wreak havoc on, on someone who wants to leave. So they, they might want to leave something to their ex-spouse and something to their current spouse and, and some you know children in different countries. And so this, again, these policies are enacted uh, in countries where they, uh, you, you can do that in, in a, a properly structured uh, PPLI policy. Got it. And you mentioned something to the effect that being able to contribute assets to the policy and a variety of them. Um, is that determined by, I guess, is the uh, investment advisor that is then going to manage those assets and what they're willing to accept under management? The Usually, when I go into a case, I, I try to uh, keep as many relationships in place that are in place. So if people are happy, uh, they want to put, uh, say, some hedge funds and they, and they have a, a fund, we, we let that person manage the funds. In the policy, there are various... Uh, rules you have to comply with, like uh, with diversification and investor control. But uh, generally, we're able to accommodate most clients' existing advisors in the structure. Uh, so it, it, they, they may have uh, several investment advisors you know, throughout the world. And so they're appointed by the insurance company to, to manage so the client doesn't have um, direct investment control and the policy. That's one of the rules, but uh, it's, uh, in a properly structured policy, it's, uh, it's easy to accommodate existing relationships. Okay. And so once a uh, client makes that 
contribution. Is there anything to do with the uh, basis of the asset when it is put into the policy? Well, the uh, probably the most difficult part of the whole enterprise is what you touched on, is avoiding gift tax with the, uh, the assets going into the policy. So we have various uh, interfamily loans, uh, sales for a note, uh, techniques like that that avoid gift tax. Not to say that we can avoid it completely in all situations, but when clients see the benefit of um, the structure over time, those taxes are easily absorbed. So here is a, a basic private placement life insurance uh, presentation that I've used in the past. So this will allow us to uh, kind of go through and see how a PPLI policy works inside an EWB structure. So the first thing that's interesting is the PPLI provides many of the same benefits that uh, a regular cash value life insurance policy provides. So what are those benefits? Um, I'm gonna list them here. So you get tax-free or tax-deferred growth of the internal cash value, no capital gains taxes, no income taxes, the ability to access that cash value through tax-free loans and tax-free death benefit in most jurisdictions. So you get this in any cash value life insurance policy. So what, why would you want PPLI? So what's different about PPLI? Well, PPLI, uh, it, it focuses, it's basically the assets in a whole life, universal life, you get a fixed interest rate or generally a selection of mutual funds. But in PPLI, you can put in real estate, physical assets, hedge funds, alternative assets like oil and gas, timber, mining, private equity, intellectual property, art, yachts, and private jets. So here's a basic uh, PPLI structure, but like we've said here in several forms in the past, it's, it's basically the same structure as any life insurance policy. You have the policy holder, which may or may not be the same as the insured life or lives. You have beneficiaries and you have assets. So in a PPLI, what's different are the assets. And at the bottom here, we have a custodian. It's uh, usually a, a, a bank or a, a trust company uh, of the client's choosing to that holds the assets. So again, the assets are flashing because that's, that's the difference. So to say it another way, PPLI focuses on the investment component, not the death benefit. Uh, on our structures for most clients, we keep the death benefit very low. So with a $10 million policy, that's $10 million of assets. We're able to have them purchase only $100,000 of death benefit. And this is institutionalized uh, pricing uh, on our policies. They pay 
basically the reinsurance rate and nothing else. So it's a wholesale rate. So on a policy like this, it would be in comparison to the $10 million, of, you know, small change for, for a client like this. So how did this uh, thing come about, the PPLI? Well, it, it began way back in the 1970s in the United States. And it was originally uh, a way for executives of Fortune 500 companies to have their own type of retirement plan different from the firm's 401k or, or IRA that they offered uh, regular employees. Uh, and it, by the early 90s, it was adopted like in its present form by wealthy individuals. And by the mid 90s, major companies uh, moved into the marketplace. So let's talk for a minute about uh, what, what is tax deferral. So we're going to look at a chart here, but uh, a little background on the chart. We're going to assume a uh, gross rate of return of 6.5% a year and a combined state and federal income tax of 49%. So these would be people living in Florida or the, uh, not, not in Florida, in California or New York. They, they, might be, they might be wanting to move to Florida, but uh, if they're stuck in California and New York, this, this is a good solution for them. Uh, so as we'll see from when we see the chart in the next slide, the PPLI reaches much higher investment levels over time because the income and capital gains generated are not taxed. So here's our chart. So we have three columns, three different um, time periods, 10 years, 20 years, 40 years. So after uh, 10 years, there's 3.4 million dollars more on the PPLI side versus the taxable investment. After 20 years, it's 8.7 million. And I apologize for the chart here. It's uh, that 48.2 should be over the 40-year column. So you have almost 50 million dollars more in a PPLI structure over 40 years. A very powerful uh, result. That's a big difference. That's definitely a big difference, huh? A uh, very big difference. Uh, the most people's time horizon, you know, is more like 10, 20 years. Uh, but even then, uh, uh, they're much better off. So asset protection. So a, a lot of times, people have already have a asset protection trust or they have various things in place. What PPLI provides is another layer of asset protection that's not available with a trust alone. And how does it achieve that? The insurance company becomes the beneficial owner of the assets going into the policy. The insurance company is listed as the beneficial owner on bank accounts and all transactions are done in the name of the insurance company. Also, policy assets are held in what's called segregated accounts or separate accounts. So they're not subject 
to the general account of the insurance company. So the, uh, in the unfortunate situation uh, of the insurance company going bankrupt, the policy owner would still retain ownership of their own assets. Trust planning. So people say, well, I have a trust. Uh, and I think my trust um, you know, does most of the things you're talking about. Well, it does some things, but it certainly doesn't do everything. A trust provides estate tax exclusion. It can provide generational planning. It can provide some asset preservation and creditor protection. But it does nothing for income tax and capital gains tax. Um, so that's why you have a trust in combination with a PPLI policy. So here we have uh, a, you can put them all up, uh, all the bullet points while I'm talking. Um, this is a side-by-side -side comparison of the main points of a PPLI structure versus a trust. So first let's go over to trust to provide some asset protection, but it's also seen as a tool for the rich. It's more stringent reporting requirements. There's also tax filings for the trust and more recently for the, for the beneficiaries, tax filings in some jurisdictions. In comparison, an insurance is contractually based and used by millions. It has tax deferral. The insurance company becomes the beneficial owner. There's simplified or limited reporting, tax-free asset transfer at death, and no capital gains tax, and asset protection. So I hope, uh, I don't know how you're feeling up to this point, but uh, I hope it's not like this, but maybe it's a little like this. So we're gonna go over five case studies and hopefully you won't be scratching your head at the end of the case studies. So we entitle it five different case studies, one simple solution. So on the surface, most, these case studies are gonna seem like very different planning situations, but as you'll see, they have basically all the same simple solution. So we start out with a Moscow parent. She had three operating businesses in the Caymans, 19 million in cash. We formed a holding company to operate her businesses. She watched wished her uh, son to, who resided in Florida to have the operating businesses at her death. And she also wished the son while she was living to use the profits from the operating businesses uh, to invest in real estate. So we had to form a holding company for the three operating businesses. So we're back to our same chart. So we have the Moscow mother as the policy holder. She's also the insured life. The son is the beneficiary. 
The assets are her cash and three operating businesses in the Caymans. So again, the difference are, is the assets, are the assets. So next we move to the Wu family. They reside in New Jersey, husband and wife with two children. Mr. Wu is a citizen of PRC. Mrs. Wu has a green card. They have multiple real estate holdings throughout the US. They also have portfolio investments in the US and PRC, net worth 75 million. They came to us after being perplexed at the, a spider web structure that another uh, firm had shown them. So again, uh, same situation. What's different are the assets. Here we have another, um, we call them an ultra high net worth entrepreneur. He had companies in the UK, Europe, US and Africa, very diverse holdings, natural resources, sports franchises, media management. He had re residences in four different jurisdictions, the UK, US and Mauritius. Again, he wasn't quite sure about his uh, reporting obligations or whether he had done things right in the past and he wanted something more simple than what he had been led to believe that he needed. And upon his death, he wished his holdings to pass to a Delaware trust, which we created for the benefit of his wife and children. So again, policyholder, the ultra high net worth entrepreneur, he was also the insured life, beneficiaries, the Delaware Trust, and the assets are which we just detailed. So again, same structure, different assets. The San Jose family, third generation California residents, they own and manage apartment houses valued at over 100 million. They wish to simplify their present structure. Their aim was to pass the apartment houses to the next generation uh, without a state tax. Again, same structure. Our last example is slightly more complicated, uh, a real estate developer. The fir uh, firm specializes in US uh, real estate investments. They have approximately 4 billion currently invested in US real estate projects. And their goal is to optimize privacy, tax efficiency, and asset protection for their US and worldwide clients. Again, the policyholder is the company. The insured lives are key executives of that company. Uh, the beneficiary is a trust and the assets are the real estate holdings. So all these are possible with PPLI structures. Our last slide uh, is, uh, shows the uh, man who's reported to be the tallest man in the world next to the woman who's uh, reported to be the smallest lady in the world. So we just show this slide at the end 
to show our diversified uh, client base. And that's our slide, slide presentation. Did you have any uh, any questions? Well, I mean, definitely have several questions. Um, sure. So in the sample uh, example of real estate holdings, um, okay. what, you know, let's just say someone has the apartment, multifamily apartment portfolio that is currently managed by uh, several different property managers. You know, can you kind of walk through what that process would look like when they, you know, do the, I guess, in this initial contribution into the policy? And then how does that management structure look like and kind of what allows that management to stay in place? Like I said before, the, the insurance, the policy functions more like a kind of trust. When you go to the um, regulations for variable policies, and the PPLI is considered a variable policy in jurisdictions like Bermuda and Barbados, you see that unlike just an, on a retail policy, a, a menu of mutual funds, you could put any asset class in there. But also the insurance company can't becomes the beneficial owner of the asset, but it, it's an insurance company. So frequently we, we have to add another layer in the policy, a, a holding company like we did for the, the Moscow parent. So very frequently that, that's one of our first steps. While the insurance company goes and finds an independent valuation because this all works because of something called in-kind premium, which regular retail insurance policies don't allow. So the these multi-family apartment houses become premium because these policies can support in-kind premium. So instead of writing a check, you contribute the, the value. And generally, we don't need a, a, a full-blown independent appraisal. We just need some independent valuation by a third party. You know, the apartment houses are worth say, you know, half a billion dollars or whatever. Okay. And then those apartment complex will be set up in that holding company that's in between the life insurance company, correct? Right. And it's basically one way to think about it is it's retitling the asset in the name of the insurance company. So the, the business enterprise of the apartment complex is going to maintain its same character. They have to pay state and local income taxes and you know they can't be away from that but the reason someone would put that into the policy is upon transfer it's transferred as a tax free death benefit but the the daily operating parts of the businesses don't really change but the titling of the asset changes so it, the insurance company becomes the beneficial owner until the death of the insured and then it's transferred to the beneficiaries which are usually it's usually set up where the, the beneficiary is the trust and the and the various beneficiaries are named inside the trust. Okay. And for those that are not so familiar with this, what what is the reason behind keeping the death benefit lower and I guess the cash value higher, correct? Uh, well, most people come in to the uh, when we initially sit down, they want to use PPLI as an asset structuring tool with as little cost as possible. So the, the cost of insurance using the uh, US regulations becomes a very significant uh, part of any policy because there has to be a what the IRS calls a corridor uh, between the 
cash value and the death benefit. So PPLI policies that can be very small. Does that deal with the MEC, I guess, right? Correct? Does that deal with MEC? Uh, it, it, it's kind of, it, it, you, that's going in the right direction, but it's, it, it's beyond that. It's um, in the, the juris, these jurisdictions, there's a type of policy called a frozen cash value policy. So basically that policy allows you to buy a risk, what, what the IRS calls a risk shifting element. Uh, so there has to be some death benefit, but it can be as low as 1%, where in a traditional policy, say if the, 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 the death to, I mean, you, you, you wouldn't even use a traditional policy, but say if it was 100, 100 million of insurance, you could only put 30 million of assets in that. So you'd have to buy 100 million of insurance to support uh, 30 million of assets. So, and if the client was coming to us for just restructuring and they frequently, they already have some life insurance in place, they don't want a hundred million dollars worth of uh, life insurance. So who else is, you know, PPLI a great fit for? I mean, if people are listening here, I mean, the problem is, I guess, everyone's always wondering if it's a great fit for them, you know, besides the 5 million net worth, you know, is there any other factors taken into consideration to determine ahead of time, you know, whether, you know, they're going to make a phone call to you or set up an appointment of, you know, what would determine them being a fit for a policy? Well, I, I would say that they would need to have like a, you know, minimum 10 to 20 million of, of assets. And they want, for instance, like the, uh, let, let's go back to one of the examples. So the, the uh, San Jose family. So a, a typical, like a state planning attorney might recommend to this family that they buy, I'll just guess what their estate tax bill might be, a $10 million worth of life insurance to pay for the estate tax. Well, you know, that's one way of doing it, but that's, you have to buy $10 million worth of insurance. In a PPLA contract, if we do a side-by-side -side comparison, like our consulting fee, the insurance company's fees are nowhere near that figure of the $10 million worth of insurance. So it's a much simpler and more cost-effective way to pass assets down uh, to the next generation. Uh, international families, that's why we had several examples where, like I said, very frequently PRC families have two lives. They have a New York, California life, and then they have relatives and assets back in the PRC. So frequently we're able to put all or most of their assets within this policy. So they have one uh, simple solution to go back to our title for the uh, case studies. They, uh, so there's simplicity, there's uh, of design and uh, for U.S. clients, it's it's frequently uh, tax savings. That's the hot button. And uh, with real estate, like I said, real estate is is just a perfect asset. Or hedge funds, where people are paying uh, short-term capital gains, ordinary income taxes. They might be getting a great return, but they're not keeping so much of it. So these investment advisors that manage the accounts on behalf of the clients. You know, is yes. there is there any uh, like restrictions to what they can do, or is it kind of, you know, on the they're supposed to kind of take the advice of the guidance of the client, or how does that relationship work, and kind of where could that go, 
uh, astray. Well, there's this famous case in the last few years called the Weber case, where somebody set up uh, structures similar to our examples, but, but then he basically totally ignored the uh, investor control regulation. Basically, the, the, the regulations say that you can give the investment advisor a mandate, but you can't choose like say, you know, I want so many shares of Apple, so many shares of Intel. But this person even went beyond that. They, they, they just, uh, they totally dictated to all the advisors, you know, exactly what they wanted, which you can't do. But it's funny when you, when you say that to like somebody like at, uh, you know, uh, JP Morgan or, or, you know, investment bank, I never let the clients tell me what to do anyway. <laughs> I mean, it's usually the investment. I mean, people go to investment advisor because they, they want them to do the, you know, day-to-day work and they, they give them a, you know, their risk tolerance and the investment advisor designs a portfolio around that. So it's really not so different, but you can't be completely hands-on. Uh, but for most people, they're, they're busy go, either going about their other businesses or enjoying their life and they're, they come to us if they're completely hands-on. They're they're probably watching YouTube videos and <laughs> trying to construct their own PPLI company. <laughs> That's usually I hey everyone starts somewhere, and these days they all start on the internet, right? That's right. That's right. I mean, you go you go to uh, at home. You know, if I want to do a plumbing repair, you know, you can watch five YouTube videos on the same. Uh, you know, how to replace uh, you know this 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 pipe in your, in your bathroom. <laughs> so, so it's, you, yeah, it's it serves some function. So do you feel that some clients, it, it's just may not be a fit for them if they're kind of like, uh, I, I guess you call it a control freak where they always have to control the deal. Cause in this case, you basically give up control of your assets. Uh, yeah. If they're completely like the, uh, the man uh, in the, in the Weber case who, who want to dictate <laughs> crossing uh, every T and dotting every I it, yeah, it, it won't work. Okay. Uh, I mean, I think that's, uh, I mean, most of, you know, the questions I have for the day, is there any other things, you know, regards to the policy that you want to leave us off with? Uh, no, other than the, like I said, it's very client friendly in terms of, uh, of cost, the, the basic costs for M&E in the ballpark uh, for the insurance company is 1%. So it, it's basically a, an asset management fee. And as you saw from the tax deferral chart over time, it's uh, completely absorbed that one percent. So uh, I virtually never had anybody walk away because of the they thought the fees were too high. All right, that's good. And so we always ask a final question: and what is one of the biggest thing you've implemented in your life that has helped increase your net worth? Well, it's making the the decision to concentrate on PPLI. Actually, we, we I had a case uh, with another part, person I partnered with in New York, and he. Uh, he basically didn't want to do it. He said, well, you know, there's people that specialize in that. And I thought uh, to myself, well, why can't I be one of those people? Because <laughs> you know? it was a pretty decent case, you know, the, and I, I hadn't done one before. So I had to get uh, up to speed fairly quickly to, to get it done. But uh, I enjoy it. Uh, it has uh, in, uh, in pre-COVID times it, uh, provided uh, Lots of interesting travel and I meet many interesting uh, people and uh, provides a good income. So do you think it's also, I guess it's a correlation of the type of clientele or the people in the PPLA 
industry that has fostered greater relationships to also increase net worth and give opportunity to other investments? Yes, yes, all of those things. And then just one note here, uh, you mentioned uh, COVID times. The, the companies I work with are, are now able to, most policies, waive the physical exam because you can either, if they have existing life insurance on the reinsurance side, they can reassign it to this policy or basically pay for the death benefit, giving up part of the cash value. So you, as you saw on the example of the 10 million life insurance would be you know a few thousand dollars a year. So for a client like this, they can bypass the physical exam, which uh, you know most people aren't uh, overjoyed to, to be doing in, in this uh, difficult time. Well, that's good. I think hopefully the uh, life insurance companies will streamline certain policies, especially for younger folks, because they sometimes make you go through all kinds of hoops, doing all the blood work and all that stuff right. for months. <laughs> Right, right. And uh, they, they have, things have been in place for actually years, but the insurance companies are fairly conservative and they move very slowly, which is also a good thing because they, they hold so much of uh, combined assets of uh, people throughout the world. But uh, yeah, there are ways of looking at pharmaceutical records, uh, doing uh, less evasive tests. And so I think it's speeding that up. You're right. So if any of the listeners want to get hold of you, what is the best way to do that? Call uh, the U.S. Uh, office number, uh, 530-692-1007. All right. And we'll link the uh, site in the, in below. We'll link the website and we'll also put that phone number. And I just want to thank you, Michael, for coming out today. And it was great having you on the show. Yeah, uh, likewise. Uh, and uh, good luck to you and many more good podcasts. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Joe. Don't forget to subscribe to the show on iTunes and leave a rating and a review. We'll see you on our next episode. Thanks for listening to The Joe Roberts Show. Take these tips and insights that you can use to help grow your own personal wealth and share them with a friend that could also benefit. Don't miss a single episode or updates. Subscribe to our email list at joerobert.com. And as always, keep pushing yourself towards a more impactful life. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show. The Joe Robert Show.